Psalm 24, a song of David. The earth and everything on it belongs to the Lord. The world and all its people belongs to him. He built the earth on waters. He built it over the rivers. Who can go up on Lord's mountain? Who can stand on his holy temple? Only those who have not done evil, who have pure hearts, who have not used my name to hide their sin, their lies, and who have not made false promises. Good people ask the Lord to bless others. They ask God, their Savior, to do good things. They try to follow God. They go to the God of Jacob for help. Gates proudly lift up heads. Open nation doors and the glorious king will come in. Who is the glorious king? He is the Lord, the powerful soldier. He is the Lord, the war hero. Gates proudly lift your heads. Open nation doors and the glorious king will come in. Who is the glorious king? The Lord all-powerful is the glorious king. Shrock, thank you for reading for us this morning. My name is Champ Thornton, and as Hayes said earlier, my family and I have been attending here for the last year. I've been here for some of that, but I've been filling in at a church in Newark. It is really a delight and a joy to be with you today and to open God's word with you. But before we do that, I want to pray with us, and I want to wish fathers here a happy Father's Day. And for the fathers that are not here or are watching online, happy Father's Day to you as well. And it's a special day, and I want to take a moment and lift up the fathers before the Lord. So would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we come to you this morning, and we praise you because you are the ultimate Father. You are father forever because you have had a son forever. It's who you are. You are a provider and you're good and you're loving. We praise you. We thank you that you have introduced the whole idea of fatherhood here on earth. This was your good plan. We thank you for fathers who have loved and cared for us. We confess that some of us struggle with fatherhood, being a father, or perhaps handling the fathers that we have known. And so we ask this morning that you would give us grace where we have fallen short, grace where we need to try to forgive. We ask that you would give help, that we would love as you love as father. We would serve and provide as you do. We pray this morning also that you would meet with us as your word is open, that we would hear your voice, the voice of a loving father in our ears and in our hearts. So we ask your spirit's help today in Christ's name, amen. So today we are finishing a series on the book of Psalms called The Antidote as we look at various psalms from God's word that relate to the problems we face in life. And so the problem we're looking at today is unworthiness. And I mean, this is a familiar topic, inadequacy, unworthiness. I mean, if you watch movies at all, you're gonna run into this all the time, right? So if you've seen the movie Thor or know anything about Thor, you know what's always, you know, is he worthy, you know, to wield the hammer, right? 
that's the topic. Or if you go old school, Rocky, right? Can he go the distance? That's the question. And so we know this topic. It's in movies, it's in books, but you know, it's also, we know it firsthand, don't we? Because we all struggle with unworthiness. We all struggle with feelings of inadequacy. And the reality is it's not just us common people, right? People in every strata and walk of life struggle with feelings of inadequacy. So we think about the actress Mia Farrow. She said, all of my, uh, I've always had a sense of unworthiness of myself. Or take Madonna. She said, all of my will, like her will and her drive to succeed, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. So it's familiar. It's everywhere. We all know, if we're honest, what it's like to just feel like we didn't make the grade. Now, it's familiar, but actually it's not always clear. What are we talking about here? So let's kind of pinch and zoom. Let's go in and dive in a bit more. What are we talking about when we talk about unworthiness? What we're talking about in unworthiness, you've got some yardstick, some measure, some standard, and we feel like we don't measure up. Now, perhaps that's because we don't. And sometimes it may be because we've been hurt and told so many times that we don't measure up that we've come to believe it. And it may not be true. Perhaps we've set the standard so high that we and really no one can measure up. Or perhaps it's because we compare ourselves with others as we scroll on our social media feeds and we see what people have or what they've done or what they've accomplished in life or who they are and how they look. And we feel like, yeah, we don't measure up. So there's some external standard and then some internal assessment of how we compare. Now, what makes it really difficult and confusing is having objectivity here, right? What's really going on? Am I really inadequate or do I just think that? Or do, is it just that others think that I am? Or is the standard that I've set, is it normal? Is it too high? Is it too low? So feelings of inadequacy, unworthiness, it's real. It's everywhere. And it's really hard. And that is why I love Psalm 24, our text for today. So uh, we've been raising our kids. We have an 18-year-old and two 13-year-olds. They're twins. They're on the mission trip this week. And when our kids get to around the age of 10, more recently, actually they were older because of COVID, we take them to New York City on kind of a several-day trip with dad. And we look forward to this. We have a great time. We go to some big events. So when I took Jack a couple months ago to New York City, our youngest, we went to a New York Yankees game and it was great. It was especially great because the Yankees won. No apologies to all you haters out there. All right, there we go. Uh, There's two of us here. All right. And then a couple days later, I took Mackenzie and she didn't want to go to the Yankees game, which is fine. She wanted to go to a Broadway show. She loves to sing. She loves musicals. And so we went to a show that I'd heard about called Wicked. So maybe that's also the Yankees fan. (laughs) Now, you maybe you've not seen this musical, but you've perhaps seen, like I had, the classic movie, The Wizard of Oz. Well, there are elements that relate, that are have in common with both. But when you go to the Broadway show, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, so don't worry, you, the curtain goes up and actually kind of the curtain gets pulled back, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? 
when you get there, you realize like they're the same elements, but there's a lot more going on than you had thought. And the story runs in different directions than you conceived. And it's familiar, but all of a sudden, like incredibly unfamiliar. And so while we all know what it's like to feel inadequate, we know feelings of unworthiness. When we turn to Psalm 24, we read about unworthiness, but it's like the curtain goes up and the spotlight shines on our lives and we see now finally more clearly what's going on about our sense of inadequacy. And like a show, Psalm 24 has a stage and a story and a cast and a finale. Let's dive in. First of all, we're looking at the stage. And here we're looking at the first two verses of Psalm 24. If you have a copy of God's word, you can follow along. You can read on the screen. Psalm 24 begins this way. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Why? For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. All right, this is pretty straightforward. You've got the Lord, Jehovah, the God of Israel, but who is also the creator of absolutely everything. He's not a regional deity just over the land of Palestine, that little strip of ground. No, he is Lord over all the earth, every bit of it. He's the maker of heaven and earth and everything in it, every creature and all people. And because he made everything, he's in control. It belongs to him. It says the earth is the Lord's. And we see that control in play in this text from the very beginning. It says he founded the earth on the seas and established it on the waters. So if you've ever been on a cruise, maybe you like pay discount tickets to go in the winter to the Gulf of Mexico, and then you regretted it because the boat is like rocking back and forth and the waves are going you know, up and down, then you understand the turmoil and the unpredictability and the chaos of waters. And you see that in Genesis 1. It opens up and the planet is just water and God brings the land. Thank the Lord for the land. You've got stability. You've got order. Here's the point. The point is this. The stage of your life is bigger than you may think. So you may feel unworthy today, have a sense of inadequacy, and think, what in the world do two verses about God's creation have to do with my inadequacy? There is not one area of your life, your career, your personality, your emotions, your family, your bank account, that is outside of the world and everything in it. None of that falls outside of his control, his ownership, and his care. I mean, you may not even be a Christian, or you have questions. God made you too, and you are in his world. And in this psalm about unworthiness, about our unworthiness, we see that God is the creator. Here's more of what that means. You may feel inadequate, but you realize God made you, the creator made you the way he did for a purpose. Your skill set, your unique strengths, your weaknesses, your limitations. He made you that way for a reason. So don't feel unworthy because you're not something that he didn't make you to be. 
God not only controls your life and made you, but he controls the life of people around you, the situations around you. He put you in the family he did for a reason. The creator gave you the job history you have. He is sovereign over the conversations you've had, the things you love, the things you regret. He is Lord over all of it, not just some small part, the nice part. And not only that, but the God who made the world and founded it on the seas and the rivers is able to take the chaos and turmoil and ups and downs of your life that feels out of control, that makes you feel unworthy and bring stability and order. Why? Because that's what he's been doing from the beginning. Dealing with the instability and the chaos of your and my unworthiness, this is what the creator does. It's in his wheelhouse. So the stage that your unworthiness plays on is way bigger than you may think. Number two, the stage, now let's talk about the story. We're looking at verses three through five. Let's read together as I read. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Here's the answer. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Okay, there's a lot going on here, but we're going to focus in on verse 5, and we'll get to the rest of it in a minute. So the people in this verse, the people who are worthy, worthy to go into the temple of the Lord, the place of his presence, what happens? When they're there, if they're worthy, they go into his presence, into the temple, and they, it says they receive. Literally, can I nerd out with you a minute? Okay, so the Hebrew word here for receive is actually the word for carry, all right? They will carry the blessing of the Lord. So they go into the temple, they receive and carry the blessing of the Lord as they go back out into the world. This phrase tells the story, the drama of what God is doing in this world. It's what you're doing here. It's what our kids are doing on the missions trips. It's what he's put all of us in, on planet Earth to do for a reason. This is the story. And you say, it's just a little verse in Psalm 24. How can you say that? Because we're going to back up and get the big picture and see this is exactly what's going on, not only in the Bible, but in the world. This is not isolated. So let's lay out like a play five different acts in Scripture. Ready? Here we go. Act number one. Humans are to spread blessing. In Genesis 1 and 2, what do we find? They have the Garden of Eden. So this is where Adam and Eve walked with God. It was like the place of his presence. It was like a temple. It's where he was with his people. And they received their blessing. Now, they were commanded to subdue the earth and to fill it. So if they're going to fill the earth, that means that eventually, you know, it's going to get a little crowded in the garden. So they've got to, like, push the garden back. That's part of subduing it. They were to spread the garden around the world until... The glory of the Lord filled the earth like the waters cover the sea. They are supposed to carry the blessing around the world. How'd they do? Well, we get to the very next chapter and we find out they fail miserably. Because what starts spreading around the world from Genesis 3 and on? Sin and hatred and violence and evil. That's what gets spread. They're, so they are completely unworthy. By the time you get to Genesis 11, it's like the whole earth is just one great big mess and all the nations of the earth are certainly not living up to the standards that God had set. 
So then there's a pivot, and we get to chapter 12, Act 3. God's people are once again to spread blessing. What do we have? You know the story. Abraham, originally known as Abram, God comes to him and says, all right, I want you to be the head of a new nation, and I promise I will bless you. Now, it's, he's going to bless him not because, well, you know, all those nations in chapter 11 who didn't measure up, we're just going to like leave that behind, turn the page, let's start over. No, what happened is he says, I will bless you, Abraham, and through you and your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You see the pattern? The pattern is we always go into the presence of the Lord to receive and then carry out the blessing of the Lord to the rest of the world. How did Abraham and his family do? Terrible. I mean, the whole story of the Old Testament is the sad story of how they failed to bring blessing to the world. They failed to measure up to God's standards. Just like the rest of the nations, they were proud, they were stubborn, they were unworthy. But we still have one more act to go. And I'm going to save that for the end. Here's the point. The story of your life is deeper than you may have realized. When we feel inadequate and unworthy, what happens? It's like our world shrinks down to our own concerns, doesn't it? The horizon of our life is just filled with us and how we have not measured up. As we've compared ourselves against a standard right or wrong, or performance of how we've measured up. And so here, by talking about carrying the blessing to the world, it's like the Lord saying, all right, eyes up, chin up. What's the big picture here? Why are you here? Yes, you're feeling inadequate, but you, like every inadequate person in Scripture, are here to carry my blessing to the world. The page of your life on which you see unworthiness is not the story that God is telling. Your page is part of the larger story, and it's not about you, and it's not about me. Even more, the whole grammar of worthiness and unworthiness is this, in your life is the same that God has used to tell the story of the whole Bible. Was Abraham worthy? Was Adam worthy? Was David worthy? Was Peter worthy? Was Rebecca worthy? Was Tamar worthy? Was Rahab worthy? This is how the Lord tells the story. And the language of unworthiness and the grammar of inadequacy, this is how he tells the story of the whole world. So your unworthiness is not the final word. And God has you and me for all our unworthiness in this world for a reason to be blessed by the Lord and to carry it out to others, to share the gospel, to help others, to love people. So the stage, God has created you the way he did for a reason and all your mess and unworthiness is no problem for him. The story he's telling is way bigger than the story of your life. And all the limitations in your life is no limitations to his story that he's telling. That's the stage. That's the story. Let's now move to the cast. These verses also tell us who's allowed into the presence of the Lord and to carry that blessing out to the world. All right, so who's on that roster? All right, let's find out. 
verses 3 through 6 again. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Here's the roster. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, the God of Jacob. All right, so this roster, unlike like a sports roster or uh, a cast list, does not contain a list of names. This roster includes a list of qualities. And what are they? Well, you have two categories, categories of personal worth and relational worth. Verse four describes per, someone who's personally worthy. They have clean hands and a pure heart. So clean hands, worthy of, in their actions, and a pure heart. They're worthy in their motives and their attitudes. So personally, there's a comprehensiveness to their worthiness, their purity, their cleanliness before the Lord. But not only worthiness, verse five talks about their relational worthiness. Does not trust in an idol. In other words, they are completely faithful to the Lord and the Lord alone to make life work. Not only personally, but relationally with the Lord, but then relationally with other people. It says they do not lift up their heart to what is false. They do not swear by what is false. Could be false God, but also it could mean, as Chirac read earlier, that we are not lifting up our heart. We're not swearing by, we're not trying to deceive people. We're not trying to like trick people to our own advantage, put them down and move us forward. So whether it is with the Lord and being faithful or loving other people, that's the measure of our relational worthiness. And what we find here is this is incredibly comprehensive. It's every part of our lives, inside, outside, with God, with others, on our own. Now, maybe you're new to church and you might be thinking, you know what, this is just like you Christians. You heap up lists of things to do. You make, try to make people feel bad and that's why people do what they do and try to be good people. It's all about living up to some high standard, conforming to some moral code out of an ancient book. You know, enlightened people, modern people have, have moved, moved on. And we just say no to that. And we feel better as a result. But the reality is the Bible doesn't provide a list like this so that you can strive to live up to the standard that's set here so that you can get into the presence of God. The reality is God's word provides verses like this in part because it wants us to face the reality and accept it. And here's the reality. No one makes the cut. Actually, if you read your whole Bible, it actually gives a little slightly different answer. It is that when we look at this kind of standard, it should remind us that only one human made the cut. The last book of the Bible asks the question, who is worthy? And the answer is Jesus Christ. He made the cut. He has always fully lived up to God's standards. The cast of the great story is not a bunch of good people who work hard at being good, or at least they work hard at hiding their flaws. It's not a bunch of people who try to do good. It's about one person who actually did it. And what we find here is this. Here's the point. The cast 
of your life is actually different than you may have envisioned. You may feel unworthy, and these verses remind us that sometimes that's 100% what God intends you to feel. None of us make the cut. We're supposed to feel that way. But that doesn't just leave us thrown down in despair in the ditch. Because verse 6 says, And such is the generation of those who seek the Lord. So not only is there this worthy person, but there's a whole generation. There's a group around this person that are not worthy. And you say, it doesn't say not worthy. Oh, yeah, actually it does. Those, he says, who seek the God of Jacob. All right, so do you remember your Sunday school lessons? You remember the story of Jacob? So Jacob, he's not a good guy. He's a liar, he's a deceiver. In fact, his name means trickster. And he not only puts other people at disadvantage, like the text says you shouldn't, but then he gets taken advantage of by people that deceive him. I mean, his life is a hot mess. And God comes and changes his life. He not only changes his life, but he changes his name. His name, Jacob, trickster, now gets changed to Israel, which means prince with God. And when God says, the people who call on me, who seek me, the, who do they call on? The God of Jacob. It's like the Lord is saying, I see your unworthiness and I own it. I see your unworthiness and you are with my son who is worthy, the only one. I see your unworthiness and I claim it. I am your God, Jacob. You see, the cast is not what you would have thought. It's not a professional Broadway cast that hits all the notes, that always measures up. There's one worthy one, and he has brought around him a generation, a group of unworthy ones, and we acknowledge our inadequacies to him, and he owns us, the God of Jacob. The stage of creation is a bigger setting for our unworthiness the story is deeper and wider in spite of our unworthiness and the cast is different and frankly smaller than we would have thought. And that leads us now finally to the finale. A few months ago, my wife and I were in Philadelphia. We went to a Philadelphia symphony concert and I had never been there before. The building is gorgeous. The orchestra is incredible and I'm like really paranoid because, you know, they, they finish a piece and it's like, do I clap? Oh, it's not over, right? So you don't want to be the one guy that, you know, and then it's like, oh, yeah, it's, that was me, sorry. You, want, you wait until the end and then everybody applauds and it's great and it fits. I just want you to know we're there. This is the finale. Verses 7 through 10, there's a mighty procession now coming into the city, into the presence of God. They're led by the king. They're returning from battle, saying, open the gates. And the victorious conquering king and his army is coming in. Can I read these verses for us? Verses 7 through 10, Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, 
the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. So these verses obviously are triumphant. They have that note to it, right? But if you think about it, they're also kind of confusing. Because it's kind of hip pause. Think about this with me. If the Lord is in the city, in the temple, and we're seeking to go into his presence and receive blessing and carry it out to the world, then how here is he now outside the city waiting to get in? It's kind of confusing, right? Well, so let's think about this. These verses point to a king. Let's see if we can figure this out. Point to a king, and he's the only one who's worthy to go into the presence of the Lord. And he somehow is also the Lord. So he's some human that's worthy, who's king, who's the Lord. Now, does that sound like anybody you may have read about in the Bible? We recognize this dynamic, don't we? We recognize this person. The one who left the place of his father's presence in heaven to come down to earth and wage war. It says he was in battle and he's coming back victorious, coming to wage war against evil and sin and death. And then one day at the finale, he victorious is going to fix everything. That's what the battle was all about, to fix everything that's broken in this world. Every single thing. Here's the point. The finale of your life is better than you may have imagined. You see, God didn't send Jesus to merely lift your feelings of inadequacy. God didn't send Jesus to only cleanse away your sin. God sent his son to set everything right to restore everything that sin had ruined. The finale encompasses cosmic renewal, worldwide restoration, body and soul, heaven and earth. One day, the sources of our inadequacy will all be fixed. You'll never feel unworthy or inadequate again. I mean, can you imagine one day bodies without pain, without addictions, minds without regrets and without doubts, souls without temptations, without shame? All will be made new because the son has waged war against evil and won it's not that he's going to make all new things. He's going to make all things new, and that includes you. And everything that makes you stumble and everything that makes you feel inadequate will be gone and changed forever along with everything else. Yes, the finale is far better than we could have imagined. I love C.S. Lewis. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I've got to tell you, my favorite book in the series is the last book. It's called The Last Battle. 
It's a wonderful story. If you've not read it, I commend it. In this series, the children who are the heroes of the story, the adventurers in the story, had visited the magical land of Narnia time and again, and they've loved it. They've loved being there. They've loved being there with Aslan, the lion, who in this series is a figure of Christ. And yet at each time, in each of the books, at the end of the story, the children had been sent back to their homes in this world. And then we get to the last battle, and we get to the last chapter in the last battle, and one of the children, Lucy, says this. We're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our own world so often. Aslan said, no fear of that. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, Aslan said softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The school term is over. The holiday has begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This morning, as our service ends, I want your eyes to see that this curtain is already going up. The stage is set. The cast is ready. The story is real. And the finale, breathtaking. I pray that today, as you leave, you'll leave your unworthiness in your row. And you'll come up into the story that God is writing, the story of which you are a part already if you belong to the worthy one. The Lord today is inviting all of us, whether you know Jesus, whether you're part of that story right now or not, he's inviting you into that great story, the story that he is writing in which every chapter is better than the one before. As I pray in just a moment, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, prepare to close our service. I'm going to ask you to close with me in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that your word, it's so old and it speaks to us so relevantly right where we are, the deepest nooks and crannies of our hearts, the dark areas of our life, feelings of inadequacy that we would be ashamed to talk about. You know, you see, and you provide the perfect antidote to our feelings of unworthiness. You are so great. 
so wise, so good, and so loving. Lord, help us to live in the worthiness of Jesus. Have our heads held high, not because of us, but because of him. Would you do this and lead us home together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.